0: Today we have my dear friend, soul sister, and true life inspiration, Monica Zuniga, joining us. She is the founder of Dallas-based ministry, We Are Unveiled, whose sole mission is to remove the veil for all women by creating a space for them to feel seen, known and understood they do this by capturing authentic stories of women all over the world and sharing them through a wide variety of outlets monica is the real deal y'all and she is truly going to be one of the leaders of our generation i so believe in her and will stand behind her on basically anything because she is a rock star. I loved our conversation and I know you're going to find so many takeaways today and I'm just really excited to introduce her to my radiant tribe. So without further ado, let's get to it. Hey, Monica. Hey, Kelsey. I am so glad you're here and it's about time because I, I love having my friends on the podcast and especially my funny friends. So I hope everyone gets to know your humor today because it's yes. the best.
1: I think they will. I hope they will too. I'm excited. I mean, how could they
0: not walk away with a few Monica one liners? So, I mean...
1: um,
0: <laughs> so please, um, do us the honor of sharing your story because I just loved getting to hear it at our retreat this year that we were on together. And I would love for my audience to kind of hear how you got to where you are.
1: Yes. Yes. I love it. And Kelsey, thanks so much for having me. Such an honor. Um, We had so much fun at our retreat, guys. I wish we had a video to to just recap all the fun moments. Um, But yeah, so I am a Texas native, born and raised. Um, I was born in the church. Um, Some of you that are from the South, maybe some of you that grew up in a religious family can really relate with that. Going to church every single day. um, I think my parents and their heart was really to produce holiness and righteousness in their children. But as a result, um, as a type three achiever and perfectionist, um, I picked up on qualities that made me think that it was all about religion and all about legalism. And so I spent a lot of my life um, in my teen years really just being the goody good girl, doing the right thing, Um, going to college. um, I came to Dallas ran on a full scholarship um, at Dallas Baptist University and um, was again in a Christian bubble at a Christian school and interpreted um, really faith again as religion and as legalism. And so I really operated out of this uh, fear-based, even shame-based culture of I can't mess up. Um, God is constantly looking to me to uh, make sure that I'm perfect. And um, I didn't fully understand the gospel or who Jesus was. And so Um, fast forward, um, I lived overseas for a year and a half in my undergrad and, um, had a great experience, really encountered the Lord for the first time on my own. And I, I returned from that trip on a high, just really, um, Excited to come back to the States, really feeling the just joy of like, man, I saw God for myself. I experienced Him for myself. Um, And when I came back, you know, you come, I came back as a 22 year old um, in college, and none of my friends had lived overseas. And re entry back into America was really difficult for me. And on top of that, I um, started dating a guy uh, pretty quickly after that that I really thought was my husband. And so um, I had not processed um well my reentry back into america and i start dating this guy and he's the bomb and we uh fall in love very quickly and we talk about marriage and um i had never had that with a guy y'all like it was just not i was not the most desirable woman on campus you know what i'm saying so I was like, wow, this is great. I'm going to marry this guy. And, um, and one day he, he comes to see me at work. I worked on campus and he's like, Hey, God's telling me that we need to break up. And I'm like, okay, cool. Cause everything else God had told him was like totally spot on with what I felt from the Lord. And I was like, that's fine. Like, take your time, do your thing. No big deal. And, um, he disappears. And, um, when I say disappears, like changes his number drops out of school, like leaves campus, like nobody knows where he, where he went. And, um, that was the first time I had really experienced rejection. And, um I mind you had you know gone to live overseas thinking that God was this god that would hurt us and harm us and I thought I needed to be perfect and then I go experience Jesus for myself for the first time but it still wasn't a pure picture of who he is um it was partially who he is and then I come back home and I really experienced this deep rejection and so I immediately thought all of these ideas of who God wa- was to me were true and so that sent me just to be quite honest down a um down a spiral and i just decided f god you know i'm done with christianity this is if this is what it's like i'm over it like i've spent my whole life being perfect and i've gotten nothing i've wanted so I actually was in my master's at the time at DBU and I dropped out, uh, started working in the corporate world, was making six figures by 25, living in a house in lower Greenville in Dallas, the millennial dream. Anybody that hears that that's from Dallas will be like, wow, that's awesome. You know, um, so I was that dream person, but I was completely running from the Lord. I had rejected the Lord. I wasn't praying, wasn't, I would go to church occasionally to show my face to the Christians in case they thought I wasn't Christian, um, I just was like totally against Jesus and against God and against religion. And um, one day I just woke up from a night of like intense partying. It was um, July 9th, 2013. I woke up in my little house by myself and um, sat on my couch. And I just in that moment was like, I am so lonely. Like this sucks. Like this is not at all what I wanted. And And I hadn't spoke to the Lord in like two and a half, almost three years. And in that moment on my couch, I just said, God, if you're real, I need you to speak to me. So he tells me, you know, look up the meaning of your name. I look it up. Monica means alone, only one. And I'm like, that's cool. Um, I feel alone, God. And I feel like you've left me alone. So now I'm pissed. You know, now I'm just not happy in <laughs> this couch encounter. And then the Lord says, look up your full name. My middle name is Amanda, and it means worthy of love. And in that moment, I just felt the rush of God's presence come over me and his deep love for me. And it's something I can't explain. I believe every person, in order to really believe in God, has to have an encounter with Him, and it has to be an intimate, unique encounter. And it doesn't have to be at a church service or in worship. It doesn't have to be at a camp. Like, those things are created environments for you to encounter God. I believe the purest environments where we encounter God are the simple ones. Like when I'm on my couch by myself, crying out to him and I feel his presence and it's not orchestrated by a worship band or by a speaker, you know, like that was the purest way I'd ever seen God. And so after that, on that couch, I just never will forget. I said these words. I don't know what I was thinking. I said, God, okay, I'm in I'm gonna follow you, and I will be obedient to whatever you ask me to do. I, obedience will be my mantra. Well, fast forward, God began to ask me to do stuff. Um, I I grew up in a pretty conservative church. I, I went to Baptist school. I mean, here we are. You know, I'm 25 at this point, kind of hitting restart on my life, and um, God began to like meet me through dreams and visions and he would have random people come give me words on the street and just like things that you hear about in the Christian world. But then when you're experiencing it, you're like, what is this weirdness? Um, but I couldn't deny that it was God. And so that's what really led to me launching. We are unveiled. Um, God gave me a very specific vision and dream for the ministry. And he said, share my daughter's stories, um, empower them to action and you lead the army. And so, that really is just what launched this, and um, it really, in starting this ministry, the cloak of shame and the the false lies, I believed, about who God was and my identity in Him, that was lifted um, in this ministry, and I believe that's what we're called to do. So we share stories. We, If you go to our account, if you go anywhere, I'm sure we'll dive into more of that, but The storytelling aspect really began by me finding my own freedom in my story. And then from there, being able to really share that uh, openly with everybody and then allow others to have a voice to do the same. So
0: Wow. I love that, Monica. So with We Are Unveiled, have you always loved storytelling or did you just find this freedom and really seeing the trajectory of your story, how one thing led to another, which led to freedom? Like, do you think the hard parts of your story are necessary to get to the, the best part?
1: Um, as far as stories, I've always loved stories. Um, stories are our lifeblood as human beings. I also talk a lot, praise God. Um, I always <laughs> have growing up. Like, the joke in my family is that I just started talking and never stopped, like ever. And so, um, yeah, I've always loved stories. I've always been pretty animated and telling stories. I love details. Like, that's been a part of my DNA. Um, and I genuinely do think that, like, um, the hard parts are vital. I think that. We oftentimes, um, as, at least how I experienced my walk with God, and I, everybody's is different, but what I experienced in the church was that you had to kind of come in and have it all together. And it was this picture of like families that were healthy and people that were healthy, but then you would see things like a person, you know, committing suicide that seemed happy or a couple getting divorced. And I think we mask a lot. And so I think, you know, the whole premise behind We Are Unveiled is like, with unveiled face we will behold the glory of the lord but like you have to unveil that face like you can't have a mask on before him and i think as a community of believers when you remove the mask yourself and you talk about the hard things and you're vulnerable with what has happened and and releasing like any lies that are tied to that because shame can attach to negative things that happen in our lives and shame can really control us and so i think sharing those negative parts release the grip of shame and guilt, you know, it releases it because someone else around you will be like, Oh, me too. Here's like, there's freedom. Like you don't have to be tied by that. Like just sharing truth can be spoken outside of like your own mind. And our mind is our biggest battlefield. So I think that it's definitely necessary. I don't want to share it to glorify it because God is bigger than it. But I think sharing the negative and hard parts of our lives and our stories are vital for releasing into the atmosphere freedom for yourself and realization for someone else that they can have that same freedom too. Wow. Yeah. And do you think you
0: would have ever launched We Are Unveiled if you hadn't gone through that significant season of kind of walking away and not having everything together and all your ducks in a row with a pretty bow on it? Do you think you would ever have developed this passion to
1: unmask and unveil and talk about the hard parts of life? Never. Yeah, never. I I don't wish my story upon anybody because um, I, I learned the hard way. And there were other things I left out in my story, like other trauma in my life. But I am so thankful because it gave me empathy that I never had. It gave me perspective I never had. And it gave me a passion um, that I would have never had, you know, to to share and to be open about that. And so I, I definitely think if it wasn't for that, I would not have launched this ministry. No. Wow. And so over the past few years, how long has we are unveiled, you
0: know, been in operation? How has it evolved? I think one thing that when one thing as listeners or, you know, someone launching our own dream, we think that we'll launch it and it'll be perfect at the beginning, but really it's just Constantly yeah. evolving and refining and changing mm-hmm. and you know letting God tweak and refine and perfect it and that's all part of the process.
1: Um, what does that look like for you? Yeah, so we launched uh, May twenty fourth, two thousand fifteen. So we've just celebrated three years of ministry. Yes, Lord, um, which is exciting. But we have changed so much. Uh, we're a baby, you know. We're a three-year-old toddler that's saying a few sentences. If we're, I don't, I would not call us an advanced baby that can say full sentences. You know, there's, there's <laughs> some of those out there. That's not us. Um, we've evolved. I mean, um, man, the team that I started with, there were, uh, I think, like ten of us, and from those ten, um, some of them left. I think there are like five girls from that 10 that are still with me that were a part of the starting crew. And, um, even as you and I were talking, you know, we have 14 women right now, but that's going to be restructuring. And so, um, as, as you go, so your ministry grows. as you grow. So your ministry grows. And I think that's in business as well as you, as you go. So your business goes as you grow. So your, so your business grows, you know? And so for us, um, the past three years, we really started, um, thinking we could do a lot. And I think that's just, um, just anybody out there listening, whether you have a business or a ministry, and especially if it's God given, you're going to think like, you're going to see the end goal, especially if you're a visionary and be like, we're going to do all of this this year. Like, this is going to be everything that's going to happen. And then nothing happens, you know, it's like a rude awakening to your gut. But I think what I've learned is that, um, I've learned to kind of release the pressure of like having it all together. Um, because as our audience grew, we learned who our audience was and what they want, and we're still learning that. So you've got to learn what your audience is looking for, what they need, um what you really have a desire to communicate to them, but then you've got to like your audience grows as you grow, like it develops as you develop. so it's constantly changing and evolving, and you've got to evolve with it. and so um anyway, how we have evolved, I would say is we really wanted to start as a mentorship program and discipleship program, which is crazy um we had in our first six months, over 50 women apply to be mentors with us from all over the U S it was pretty wild. And, um, then I had a really sweet mentor and, uh, he's on our board, sit down with me and be like, Hey, um, this is not going to work. You know, like you're biting off way more than you can chew. Like all of you girls work full-time jobs. This is your side gig. This is fun right now. And, and there's a lot of liability in pairing people in mentorship relationships in different cities. And you're not really like, I don't think you realize that you could get like sued or like bad things could happen. You know, there's just a lot of liability here. And so I was like, you're right. And so we stopped doing that. Um, We put that on hold. It's a dream that we still have, but we put it on hold. And so we kind of just stepped into naturally um, on our own people would write in their stories and we thought, let's just share them on our Instagram so, uh, for the past really two and a half years, we've shared stories every day on our Instagram of a different woman. We have a blog as well. Um, we decided to feature one story back in 2016. Um, and it was my story. You can find that on our website and we filmed that cinema, like a cinematic movie. Um, almost it's very beautiful and it's powerful and it's impactful. And so, we filmed that and we said, let's focus on one big story this year, invest some of our money into that and then, uh, resources. Um, and originally we created a magazine with that and, uh, kind of like a, a magazine slash journal tool, um, that really went into depth about my story and allowed re- readers the opportunity to process their own story. But that magazine did not sell praise God. And so we were like, well, our audience doesn't like that. And so, um, <laughs> so in the past year, um, in April of last year, we filmed our next big story that we're releasing, um, next weekend on father's day. And we filmed that it's beautiful. It's amazing. And we're actually releasing a five part, um, video curriculum. We kind of tested videos out over the past six months and our audience really loves them. And we get a lot of positive feedback from that. And so, um, we are going to be basically releasing her video testimony, which is super powerful. It's about six minutes long. And then, um, with that each week afterwards, if you sign up via our email, you'll get, um, kind of a take home devotional and, um, a, a workbook with each video that we release over the next five weeks from that. And th- these videos are just unpacking God's character as a father. Uh, and so that's where we're at now. I feel God's like breath and like goodness on that, but even in this next phase of ministry, my heart and what I'm really burdened for is discipleship. And so our audience is all over the world and we're so honored and thankful for that. But we're really processing through um really we're taking some time in July as a staff to to sit down and really strategize on Okay, how are we going to close out the year, and what is twenty nineteen going to look like? How are we going to be more intentional to really disciple women, even if they are far away? Um, because that's what we want to see: is women discipled, and that's our our biggest mission and heart. Really, the stories are our platform; discipleship is our mission, and so uh, we're really kind of honing in on that in the next uh, year. So that's where we are. It's evolved; it's always evolving. But um, I tell when I advise people, I tell them. Do not marry your ideas. Um, they're not your babies. Like if they don't work out, you didn't just lose a child. Like you didn't just lose like your spouse. Like it's fine, you know. Um, build everything on a hypothesis basis. Like if we do this and this, and it we believe it will result in this, and if it doesn't result in what you were aiming for, go back to the drawing board and rewrite a hypothesis and test it again. Like. We are scientists um, out here in these streets, you know, trying to get people to buy our stuff and to engage with us. So you've got to just keep testing until you find what works, you know
0: I yeah, I couldn't agree more. So one thing I hear you say, is praise God at some of the things that have you know fallen by the wayside You're, you you know yes. you said uh, that magazine didn't sell praise God so yeah. obviously we <laughs> might have a listener being like wait, wait isn't that a disappointment are you saying that you're thankful for that because it allowed you to recognize something that's not going to work earlier than chasing it down going down that you know path only to find it doesn't work out later like are some of the
1: small letdowns along the way just redirecting you to stay the course absolutely the small letdowns i have a very different theology and um way that i do ministry as business um we live in a day and age where everybody has the opportunity to be instantly famous or have instant success through social media. And I think a lot of our people want that. But what people are surprised to hear is we have not paid for an ad um, ever. Um, I've never paid someone to grow our following. Um, in three years, we're at 13.5K, which some people are like, that's a lot. Really, it's not a lot. You know, like we should be at a lot more followers, that's just on Instagram. We have about 2000 on Facebook, but I've purposely and intentionally not taken the time and the funds to grow our audience because I recognize that we're still in a season of figuring out what are we really doing and how are we doing it effectively? And so you can grow fast and you can get big really quickly, or you can be smart and take your time and grow with your audience. And when the, when you really feel like you've perfected what you're doing, then you're not failing in front of like 300,000 people. You know what I mean? Like, if we choose to nick something and not do it, our audience isn't that big where they're not even going to notice. No one's going to remember whenever we do choose to put funds in to grow our audience and to go to the next phase, right? Like whenever we choose to be strategic to say like, we're confident in this, we're going to move forward in this. Now let's start really growing what we're doing strategically. I think that's, um, that's twofold. So I'm not afraid of failure. I'm so thankful that things haven't worked out and that I'm learning what, what our audience loves and doesn't love. Um, but I'm very aware of like, you know, I could have more like, and I, and of course there's the temptation of wanting to grow and wanting to have more influence and more following, whatever. But if you're really doing something that you believe God has put within your heart, um, it's yours to steward. Like you're going to be accountable for that in every way, like in every facet. So I'm, I'm kind of like slow to grow, you know, um, and I can fail when we're, when we're small, like I can, I still consider us small. So I'm like yeah, let's mess up and uh, let's figure it out. And then once we really feel confident in where we're going and the direction we're going, then I, then, then I think I'd be more afraid to like fail, you know, um, I'd be like, let's not screw this up, you know, but right now I feel like it's great. I'm learning. It, It allows us the freedom to try a lot and to tap into like things that we've always wanted to do, but just never have. So So one thing I hear you saying is you're
0: okay with growing slow, which I don't think 13,000 followers in three years is slow. I think (laughs) that, you know, you've really built something substantial. What people maybe don't see is that, like, you have a pretty solid team, which having having had a team before and getting people to buy into your vision is actually really hard, not to mention, Mm -hmm. you know, 13 people on it and so, or 14. And so, I mean, I think that's pretty incredibly substantial and I want to come back to that. But one thing I hear you saying is you are comfortable with growing slow. How do you combat the the temptation to look around. And I think we do this in business yeah. ministry, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever our dream is, this is applicable. How do you combat the tendency to look around and say, but they grew faster or we started at the same exact time and yeah. theirs exploded. How do you deal with that?
1: Honestly, like it's, I think the older you get, I'm 30. All all my 30 year olds, what's up out there. Um, When you're younger, I think you really do maybe it's not even youth. I'm going to scratch that. Like it's totally just maturity and maturity in your identity in Christ. Like that's it. Bottom line. And so, yeah, I remember some groups that started around the same time as us and they have more followers. And I remember early on, like in 2016 being like, they can't beat us. Like we've got to be better than them. Like we've got to grow faster. Like I remember thinking those thoughts and now I'm like, I don't care. Like I really don't care. Like if people are blowing up and doing things because the reality is, and you probably know this Kelsey, like the more you meet these people who are behind these things that quote unquote blow up, the more you realize like how we're all struggling, you know, like, we're all out here like trying to figure it out and growth can be really exciting and awesome, but it can also be really scary and everybody has their own struggles and their own battles that they're fighting. And we can put this, um, identity on someone and this perception that they have it together and that they're better and that they are all these things, but that probably isn't the reality to any degree. And so I think what's kept me really grounded and really just, um, not allowing myself to really compare or look to the right or left um and to be like yeah and i'm an achiever ty- i'm a type 3 enneagram so i'm naturally like wanting to be number 1 at everything like i have to fight that consciously in myself um but even still what what really grounds me is just realizing that like i can't critique or criticize something that i don't personally know like that's my rule and I can't do that. So if I'm going to look at someone's page and I'm going to judge them, or I'm going to critique them in my heart, or I'm going to think that they're better than me or they're, or that they're awesome, or I'm going to criticize their feed or like what they do. Like I immediately stop myself and I say, okay, if I want to participate in this, I need to get to know this person. So I need to reach out to them and build a relationship. And I need to learn more about their brand because if I do, then I, then I'm actually going to be more aware and not just say something or think something that's not valid, you know? And so it's, I think that's what's kept me really grounded in um, the world of like everybody doing all the things and being better than you at it. Um, And also just like, man, I just feel like I'm, I don't know, I I just don't care. The older you get, you just don't care as much. And so um, (laughs) part of it's not caring, but I would say the biggest part and what the biggest thing that I've implemented in my life that's really changed my perspective is that I will not criticize and critique something I do not know.
0: Yeah, I think that has been a conversation that I've been having lately is when you get to know people behind um, the brand or the ministry, Mm -hmm. you really are able to humanize them. You're able to develop... Compassion for the struggles they're going through
1: in a Mm -hmm. way that
0: you can't see on a screen. Um, And everyone, every leader, every founder is going through something. And no one's life is really that much significantly harder than the next person's. And even people who had opportunity and privilege face their own hurdles to overcome. And so I think, you know, whichever way you see it, there's going to be Hardship on the other side and really getting to know the person behind the screen really humanizes someone. Now, on the flip side of that, because I too tend to take that approach of like if I I try to get to know them deeper so that Mm -hmm. I can humanize them, because I tend to like almost everyone. So if I really come to a place where I don't like someone, I really struggle with that and I do want to get to know them because. I don't want to be that person who just picks out people that and feels threatened and, you know, doesn't like people. But what's the flip side when you do get to know someone and it's disenchanting? Oh, girl.
1: Um, You know, we're all human. Um, I think it's just, um, man, I try to really think about and operate as Jesus would. And that may sound cliche to some people, but that's just the honest truth. When I meet somebody and I see them and I see things in their character or just how they do their business or um, their heart, because yeah, there's personality differences that we get along with certain personalities more than others, but especially operating, I think even in business, it doesn't have to be in ministry. You want to see people operating at a high moral code and high values and, you want to see them treat their employees well. Like you want to see them operate in a healthy way. And so seeing someone that I get to know and, and know deeper. And then I'm like, wow, you disgust me, you know, um, that's cause that's how you feel. You're like, this person is disgusting. Um, but what I've like just done is like, try to then again, say, okay, I'm understanding them. Now, God, like give me your lens for them. Like, because they're your child and you love them. And If anybody operates out of anything other than like goodness, you know, whether they're like Christ followers or not, like someone who's operating out of like treating their employees negatively, cheating the system, um, not really caring, just there to make money. Like I'm very purpose driven. I'm not money driven. And so those are things that really rub against me the wrong way. Then I have to then think, okay, there's a heart issue here. There's a deeper issue. There's a deeper thing there's a wound, a soul wound in this person. So like God give me your eyes to see it and show me how to love them. And then sometimes I'm like, I just will never talk to them again. You know, like if they're not here, <laughs> like if they're not local, like this is if I have to interact with them and I see them or we're at things together. Then I ask for that. Um I'll ask for that anyway, but I think there's also a boundary of like I just will never talk to that person again. You know, and whatever. You know, I'll like I'll see them when I see them, I'll talk to them when I talk to them, but it's not our responsibility necessarily to fix people. I mean, it isn't at all, like, period. It's not our responsibility to fix people. But it is our responsibility to love them really well. And Absolutely. So, yeah. So I think I try to just find the balance of that. But, um, yeah, when I encounter those people, I don't – I'm not one to be like, you suck. You know, I'm just like, okay, um, well, I'm just going to pray for you. And uh, I'm going to go do my life. And hopefully it will be an example of how you should live yours, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of like my mantra in that.
0: You, you do you, girl. Yes. No, I love that. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I am really working on that because it can tend to get me all bent out of shape, all sorts of bent out of shape. So yes. I, you're right. A lot of the people we won't see again. And yeah. so it's just kind Praise of like, why, why is it worth it to to sacrifice my peace over someone else's character? Yes, exactly. Um, so, yes. So, one thing that I absolutely love about you is that you're a pretty freaking awesome leader. So, Aww. tell us about what you've learned, the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows of leadership along the way. Because, again, you've built a pretty significant team. Most of your team does this Um
1: They all do it.
0: Yeah. For free of their, yeah, they do it outside of their day job. Mm -hmm. And so also creating a buy-in of volunteers like you've created, because sometimes the reality is as people fizzle out when they're not paid. And so how have you done this? What have you learned along the way? What would you do differently?
1: Girl, I have learned so much. I have to give some credit to, um, Grant Skeldon because, um, I helped him launch his ministry before I ever did my own thing. And so uh, we were together. I was like his right-hand girl, like the VP of initiative. And um, we started and we were leading like 30 people. Um, but I didn't know that I like wanted to be a leader. Like I I thought I was like the cheerleader in the background. So I learned the hard way a lot of things about leadership in that time with him. So bless him, Lord. Um, <laughs> I was not the, the best co-laborer at the time. Uh, and but I, I, I know Grant and y'all too.
0: There's no way you are a background dancer. Like you are no both way.
1: leaders. We are both like, <laughs> give me the stage. Yeah. Um, which is so funny. Cause I think he thought like I would be in the background and like, I'm like, no, like he literally asked me, this is like a side combo. I'm not going to go into it, but anyway, so, um, I was basically like learning a lot about leadership. Grant's a phenomenal leader, I, and so I learned a lot of things from him. But to be honest, I also learned a lot of things um, that I didn't want to do in leadership that I that I wouldn't do as a leader. And not that his leadership style is wrong or bad. It's just when you see another leader and and anybody that has this gift or any gift, you will automatically look at someone and be like, "I would not do this. I would do this. I like this. I don't do that." That's just how your mind works around yeah. that. So. I learned so much. So I knew that whenever I launched my team that I really wanted to build retention. That was like a big thing for me. Um, We had had a lot of turnover in initiative and I just wanted to see like people stay and be committed. And so uh, my dad has been in leadership and management my entire life. And so um, at the dinner table, my dad would openly talk about situations. Um, He would make us read books growing up, girl, like good to great and, um, I read how to win friends and influence people as a teenager, like my parents were all about growing our leadership abilities. And so I feel like I had a good jumping off point and my dad is very personal. Like his employees loved him. They didn't just like working for him. My dad's kind of mean, but like everybody loved my dad. And so I realized like, okay, you've got to have people that love you, like not just respect you, but really love you. And the way that they love you and what i saw in my dad was like my dad would give money to employees when they needed it he would give them food like the first spanish i learned was how to tell somebody that my dad wasn't home because his employees would come to the door in need of something and my dad would meet their need and so i learned like okay leadership is like not just leading people it's like loving them meeting their needs like it's going above and beyond for them it's it's seeing them you know and so when we launched, um, I just, I I learned a lot of, uh, things like the girls that were on my team in the beginning. I didn't know many of them. I wasn't friends with them. I just asked them to be a part of it and I had met them randomly or I'd like known about them. And so, um, I, I learned from then and I'm still learning like a hard lesson of like, there needs to be a period of like getting to know a person before really having them join your team. And, people will put their best foot forward always like in an interview. Um, they're excited to be a part of what you're doing. They think it's cool. Um, they, they really want to learn from you. Um, but I've learned like, okay, I need to even check like references for volunteers, which sounds crazy, but I do because they can affect your culture so much if they're not a good fit. Um, even if you think they're a good fit in the interview process. And so, Um, I've learned the hard way, like need to really vet people a little better. Um, Our process is pretty thorough. You um, fill out an application to volunteer and then you answer specific questions. Um, And one of the questions that I really feel has retained my people the most is what personal dreams and goals has God given you that you can see being fulfilled by serving on this team? And so they answer it. They write that down. Um, I ask them, you know, why they feel like they need to be a part and why they feel called to women's ministry. They answer that, you know. So I read thoroughly their answers. And if I don't feel like they really are called to this or that their dreams would be fulfilled here, I tell them it's not a fit and they should go somewhere else, you know. um, If I can see that those things will be fulfilled, then I let them come on board. And so um, that I think is the biggest thing that has, I've seen work that's kept people is like, I'm constantly asking those questions. Like, do you like, are you, I do like a quarterly check-ins with them on a Google form. You know, do you like where you're at? Do you want to stay? Do you want to go? Your, is your season of life transitioning? If so, how much time and effort can you give moving forward? Like, so in a given like three years of ministry, the girls that have been here from the beginning, some of them gave a lot of hours in the beginning. And then some seasons didn't do as much because their life was transitioning, but they still served and they did what was most important uh, for the ministry at that time that they could give. And and so as the ebbs and flows of life happen, I've been sensitive to see those, to, um, to move and shift with those. Um, If someone starts in a position or a team and says, I don't like it, we move them to another team. I've created a whole new teams, um, to retain employees so that they can do what they feel they're called to. Like, these are things that I feel are really important as a leader is to listen to your audience. And as a high visionary with an end goal, it's easy to put your, your end goal, like as the priority versus like realizing if we, if they win, we all win like, and if, and I need them to help me, you know? And so it's okay if we add something a little different to the plate, like it's okay if we mix it up and it's okay. Even if what they do fails because they're going to learn from it. And so I think just, um, being super intentional, asking the right questions, um, at every year anniversary, I frame, um, for the girls, what they wrote in one of their questions is, you know, why do you feel called here? And I will take their words and I'll put it in a frame and I gift it to them, you know? Um oh, I love that. To remind them, like, you said this and this is why you're here. Like, thank you for staying. You know, like just being intentional. Um, I'm big on gifts and intentional giving. And so just little touches like that, I think, are really important. And um, we have an internal relations team that gets birthdays. So everybody's birthday is celebrated. They even get like specific anniversaries that are significant. So if that's deaths of someone that are significant to someone on the team or anniversaries or whatever, like we make sure to go out of our way to ensure that each member is seen like in those moments that are vulnerable or just important. And so I think those aspects I've learned a lot from like, really taking the time to love and to see your employees and appreciate them. And, um, and I've always just tried to be as vulnerable. And even as I talk to you, this is how I talk to them, you know, like I keep it real. I'm myself, you know, um, yeah. i I just yesterday met with, uh, our core team and I repented to them like for not being present as a leader and for just going with the flow and like knowing that things needed to shift internally and putting that off. Out of selfishness, and I like asked for their forgiveness and looked them in the eyes and said, "I'm thank you for like still staying, when you know I've not been like the best leader. Like these, this is so vital to leadership, you know. Yeah. And so um, having the humility to realize like it's not about me, you know, and that they will love me and appreciate me and stay longer when they can see the the like." just the authenticity behind everything that we do that we want people to experience too. So that's a lot. You know, I talk a lot, I warned you, but, uh, <laughs> there, there it is. Woo! No, yeah. that's a leader I can get behind. Seriously.
0: I am, I am a Monica fan. I really love hearing your thoughts on leadership because I think Um, I think Jesus was a servant leader and it sounds like Mm -hmm. you're serving and stewarding your team pretty dang well and obviously there's going to be bad days and there's going to be good days. But I think willingness goes a long way. The ability to say, hey, Mm
1: -hmm. I'm
0: willing to say I'm sorry. I'm willing to do better. I'm willing to learn along the way. And I think that just goes a long way as a leader because we're not going to do it perfectly. So, you know, one last question I heard you kind of mention. You've noted probably from the beginning as a leader, you've noticed mm-hmm. what other leaders are doing poorly. And I think, you know, for anyone listening who has leadership tendencies, for for me, I used to feel really bad for that. I felt guilty, mm-hmm. like I was critical. And I remember having prayers in college of, God, I don't want to be a flaw finder. Like, let me see the gold. Um, mm-hmm. Because I would always notice. And I had a mentor kind of say to me, Last year, Kelsey, you know, you being able to see the flaws is a gift. Now, a surgeon, you know, has to learn how to use their skill. They can get in there and with a scalpel, they can either wreak havoc or Uh they can remove a tumor that, you know, gives life to the rest of the body. And that's, you know, probably part of why we as leaders do see flaws. But how have you really grown in that? Um, as you've gotten older, as you've matured in your leadership tendencies because we're always gonna see someone doing it differently, mm-hmm. how do you you know not get angered by that or not get critical of it and how do you use that actually to propel you forward?
1: Man, um, such a good question. I think that I've asked God to give me even more awareness for what people are doing well. so um, so yeah, even like even with Grant, like, you know, he, like he and I are are good friends. So like watching his ministry grow, like I've asked God to show me like what in his leadership that I used to critique and not like, like, what have I seen grow in it? And, and what can I learn from him? Like I constantly am asking myself that question as a leader to take away. And I've, I'm learning so much. Like I still learn a lot. And so I I walked away originally being like, I will not do this, this, and this, you know? Um, but now I'm like, wow, I'm going to do this, this, and this, you know? And I think that's a, a big thing that I've tried to shift mentally. Um the way that I just stay encouraged is when I see negative leadership or I see um leaders um I think that the biggest thing that gets me that like that hurts my heart and like frustrates me is seeing leaders treat people as they're disposable. Um as like this is our mission, this is where we're going or like this is the business, this is what we're doing and especially people that are Christ followers. Like if you're not a Christ follower or whatever, do you boo. But like, if you are choosing to love Jesus and, and put that on display and, and wear that proudly and you just dispose of someone because they're not helping you meet your mission or like they're, they're disposable at any moment. And that's how you treat your employees. Like that to me is a very, um, that gets me fired up girl. Like I could be on a soapbox for that. So that when I see that, when I experience that, when people tell me that, um, all it really does is motivate me and inspire me to be a better leader. Like it motivates me to be different. It motivates me to have these kind of conversations, um, with other leaders. Like it inspires me like to, to recognize that uh, for a long time, I didn't think that I had this like big gift in leadership. You know, we always minimize ourselves, but As I've been doing this, I have people come to me the most for leadership questions. Like, I have other millennial leaders coming to me and asking me how I grew my team, how I retained my team, like what I've learned. Like, I've had people come ask me to teach on this. And so now that I have that platform, I'm like, great, this is motivating me to continue to do better in this. Like, this is motivating me to be a better leader. And when I see that, it just, it just drives me even further to say like, no, I have a voice in this. Like I need to continue to like speak out for this and, um, just hopefully influence more people, I'm um, in a positive direction when it comes to leadership. And if I have a relationship with them, girl, you better believe I'm not afraid to like speak the truth in love. You know, um, we're afraid of that as Christians, like we're afraid of that as people and Jesus rebuked everybody and their mama. Like he was not afraid to call people out and push them into righteousness. Right. So I've had conversations with people that I'm close to who are leaders. And I've said, you need to not do this. And here's why this is bad. Like this is not God's design. And so even being bold enough to do that when you have the relational equity, um, and not fearing the consequence, like do not be afraid of man. Like when you speak truth to someone as Jesus did, they will either repent and change, or they're going to continue in their way, or they may be blind to what they're doing. And if no one will speak up, then you're enabling a behavior pattern that is unhealthy. And so I think that's where we have to step into our authority as children of God to do that and to speak that into other people.
0: That's good. Preach sister. That is good. I, um, I have loved getting to chat with you and have you on Monica. Where can everyone find you? I know that there will be more Monica in the future. So guys just stay tuned because she'll have to be, she'll be back on the show.
1: So, um, tell everyone how they can find you, where you're linked up. Yes. So you can find me personally on, on the IG uh, Monica, amanda.co, um, Monica and Amanda, the a that ends in Monica begins Amanda. Okay, everybody. Um, and then for, we are unveiled, all of our social media is at, we are unveiled. So follow us. If you want to share your story, give shoot us a DM. We will send you the deets on how to do that. We would love, love, love to connect with you. Um, or you can visit our website, www.weareunveiled.com. On there, there's tons of resources, some free stuff, uh, videos that you can watch that we've released, uh, and just a lot of fun content to dive into and learn. So yeah. Woo. Thank you
0: so much for joining us. It has been a joy to have you on.
1: Yes. Thank you for having me, Kelsey. I feel like we talked for 10 minutes, but it was a lot longer than that. I know. (laughs)
0: As a pro, the last thing you need is to run out of what you need. And time spent waiting on supply runs is money right out of your pocket. The good news is the Home Depot can deliver straight to the job site. That keeps your crews on the job, not the road. And that saves you money, putting time back in your day and savings back where they belong. Delivery options, big, small, right to the job site. Whenever you say, visit homedepot.com delivery. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. The final countdown has begun. Whatever you do, don't miss the end-of-year clearance this weekend at Levin's. Save up to 60% on Closeout Special Buys and Doorbusters. Plus, get an extra 15% off all sale merchandise and take up to 60 months to pay. Save $308 on our Wilmington Sofa Chaise. Now $891 with extra discounts. Plus, get the 100th Anniversary Hybrid Mattress. Now only $398. The final countdown. Now at Lavin Furniture and Mattress.